Let's pray together. God, we echo the words that the choir just sang to us, over us. My strength, my shield, my God, to you we yield. Teach us even in this moment as we continue our study in the book of Colossians to yield to you and to trust in you in all things. In Christ's name, amen. Well, listen, this isn't uh, particularly kind of designed as a Father's Day talk, as a Father's Day conversation, but I do hope, dads, that you uh, walk away with something that you can use and apply as you raise your kids. Because here's the deal, there is no better thing to teach your children than how to suffer well. There's no better thing to teach your kids than how to suffer well. I got a 10-month-old at home. I want her to learn how to go through pain, difficulty, and trial and to come out the other side as a young woman who is more like Jesus and who trusts God and loves God more. But, but that's not just for raising kids. That's for each of us, and that's what we're talking about today is how to suffer well, how to endure, persevere, not just to tolerate pain, suffering, and difficulty, but to allow it to change us and change us for the better. Three big truths here to start off with. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. They're in the Bible, but they're just pretty evident in life itself. Here's the first one. You don't get to choose whether or not you suffer. (laughs) You don't get to choose whether or not you suffer, but check this out. You do get to choose your response. You do get to choose your response. You know, society would tell us, even our own hearts would tell us that maximum comfort plus minimal suffering equals true life. If I can, if I can live a comfortable life and if I can alleviate suffering altogether, then that will be uh, the best case scenario for me. I want you to know that uh, eliminating, alleviating, or completely avoiding suffering, trial, pain, and difficulty in your life is a pipe dream. Do you know where that phrase pipe dream comes from, by the way? People used to smoke opium from pipes, and they would have hallucinations, fanciful experiences, completely fictional experiences, and they called them pipe dreams. So here's what I'm saying to you. If you think you can avoid suffering altogether, what are you smoking? That's what I'm saying. We cannot do it. We don't get to choose whether or not we suffer. Check this out. We don't even really get to choose what particular genre of suffering we endure, do we? Like we're not given a menu of all these different things that we can endure in terms of pain in our life and go, all right, I'll take cancer and I'll take divorce. But the rest of them I don't want, but those two I can endure. We don't even get that most of the time. Most of the time it just comes our way, but we do get to choose our response. Number two, suffering always changes us. Suffering always changes us, but here's the critical part, and it's it's a little bit difficult to swallow, I think. It does not always change us for the better. Suffering 
pain and difficulty always change us. They do not always change us. They do not necessarily change us for the better. Some people go through suffering and they end up bitter and angry and they have a chip on their shoulder. You may know people like that. You may be a person who is like that because suffering does not always change us for the better. It always changes us but not necessarily for the better. Some people go through suffering and they come out the other end and they end up humble, kind, compassionate, empathetic. It's because suffering changed them for the better. Here's the third big truth that we're starting with. And and, and this this is, again, so critical. How suffering changes you is up to you. How suffering changes you is up to you. I can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your spouse, your kids can't do it for you. Your work can't do it for you. You have to choose your response to suffering. You get to choose whether it's going to change you for the better. It's going to come if it hasn't already. And for most folks in this room, it already has. And we've still got more left to endure, don't we? Unless the Lord takes us home during the service here. We still got more pain, suffering, trial, and difficulty to endure. It's coming, and it's going to change us, and how it changes us is up to us. How it changes me is up to me. How it changes you is up to you. So today, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about how to suffer well. We're talking about how to position ourselves in such a way that it allows suffering to do good work and not negative work in us. Here's our bottom line truth for today. I'm gonna invite you to write it down. We're gonna keep it up on the screen. And this is what we're gonna unpack through Colossians 1, verse 24, all the way to chapter two, verse five. We suffer well when suffering drives us toward Christ in us, others around us, and eternity in front of us. That's how to suffer well. We're going to see it in the passage here, so don't panic. I'm going to unpack it for you as we read together, but we suffer well. I see some of you writing. Great. We'll leave it up here long enough for you to write it down. Give yourself some space so you can take notes in between. We suffer well when suffering drives us toward Christ in us, when suffering drives us toward others around us. And when suffering lifts our eyes and lifts our countenance toward the eternity in front of us, that's how we suffer well. If you've got your Bibles, I would invite you to open them with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. If you don't have your Bibles, there's one in the seat back in front of you. The scripture, as always, is up here on the screen so you can track along with us. I want you to know that we're going from chapter 1, verse 24, all the way to chapter 2, verse 5, and some of you might be thinking, can you actually read from two different chapters and preach from two different chapters in the context of one sermon? Yes, you can. Here's why. There were no verse markings and chapter markings when this letter was first published in its original language when Paul wrote it, but he did have paragraph breaks. So today we're dealing with one full paragraph, and then in chapter 2, verse 6, he uses the word, therefore, and it's a new paragraph. 
So today it's one large paragraph that begins chapter 1, verse 24, and ends in chapter 2, verse 5. And there is a lot packed into these uh, 10, 8, 10 verses here, a lot. Uh, there's stuff about racial reconciliation in these 10 verses. I'm not kidding. Go back and read it, study it, and you'll see it. There's stuff about what a pastor does and what a pastor doesn't do and your actual you know, realistic expectations for your pastor, whether it's here at Bayview Glen or elsewhere. Paul talks about that here. Paul talks about how to counteract false teaching in chapter 1, verse 24, through chapter 2, verse 5. But look, I've got 40 minutes. I can't do all that. So we're talking about one thing, all right? We're talking about suffering. So chapter 1, verse 24 of Colossians, it's up here on the screen. I hope you have the text in front of you here. And let's read what Paul has to say to this church. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Don't panic on that language there, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We'll come back to it. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you where we get our series title from the hope of glory. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Chapter 2, verse 1, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. To reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. There's this false teaching thing. Verse 5, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and your, the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now for those of you who read along, you're going, wow, there is a lot of content there. I mean, that is rich, rich truth, and it's packed to the hilt. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And talks about false teaching, even the Jew and Gentile thing, and Gentiles being grafted into the covenant. That's racial reconciliation. Go back and study it. I'm telling you, that's what Paul's talking about. It's all kinds of stuff in there. But we're going to talk about suffering today for two reasons. One, and the primary reason is this. We're tracking through the book of Colossians, and in that paragraph that I just read, Paul talks a lot about sufferings. The first word he uses, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings in chapter 1, verse 24. That word sufferings, the first one he uses, it means external events that cause pain or affliction or suffering. Things that happen around you, circumstances and difficulty that happen outside of you that cause suffering. Then he says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's 
afflictions, also in verse 24. If you've got your Bible and you're reading the English Standard Version, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He talks about afflictions. That word afflictions, just so you know, is only used here in Philippians chapter 1 to talk about what Christ endured. When the Bible talks about Christ on the cross or when it talks about the sacrifice of Jesus, it doesn't use this same Greek word. It only is used here. And what Paul is talking about is the persecution that Jesus underwent because he was Jesus. It's the people that mistreated him, that physically harmed him, that emotionally harmed him, that went after him simply because he's Jesus. And Paul is saying, we undergo the same thing. We undergo afflictions. We undergo persecution simply because we're followers of Christ. The third Greek word that Paul uses there is toil. You see it there in verse 29. He says, for this I toil. That word means to labor intensely or to work with difficulty. That's a verb there in, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 29, but there is also an adjective form of that verb in order to describe somebody, and the adjective form of that verb literally means to be weary as if you had been beaten. <laughs> like physically, the tar kicked out of you. That's what that word toil means and some of you are going look I'm going through some pain and struggle and difficulty in my life and it feels like I'm being beaten up I'm weary as if I have been beaten Paul says yeah I feel that way too for this I toil the last word there is struggle. He uses it in chapter 1, verse 29. He uses it in chapter 2, verse 1. And the original language, that word is agon. It's where we get our word, real easy question, agony or agonize from. Paul says he's in agony over these churches. He is agonizing. And that word would have been used of athletes that were in competition. They were agonizing. They were competing. They were exerting all their effort, they were engaged in an intense struggle. Five different times Paul talks about pain, persecution, suffering, or hardship, and he uses four different Greek words. Now, check this out. Paul's a very, very smart guy. He's been training as a rabbi since he was a very young man. He spoke multiple languages. He was a citizen of multiple countries. Paul was a very well-traveled, very sharp guy. He doesn't use different Greek words on accident. They're there on purpose. So here's what he's trying to, to, to communicate to the church in Colossae, and now by extension to us, is there are different types of pain, difficulty, and struggle that one might experience in one's life. I've dropped them down into three different categories, but Paul alludes to two of these categories here, but not one of them. And let's talk about those three categories. Here's the first one that Paul does not allude to. He's not talking about this here, and it's consequential suffering. It's consequential pain. Here's what I mean by consequential suffering. It's difficulty, pain, or hardship in your life that you are going through because of a choice you made. You ever make a bad choice and then you have to endure hardship as a result of that bad choice? It's a consequence of that bad choice. That's consequential suffering. I got a buddy of mine that's got a little placard on his desk. It says, everything happens for a reason. And in the fine print underneath it, it says, sometimes that reason is you made a bad choice. (laughs) 
Sometimes the pain, difficulty, or hardship that we endure in life is because we made a bad choice. The Bible talks about this all over the place. Remember David, who made a bad choice? And by bad choice, I mean he slept with a married woman and then killed her husband in order to cover it up. The Bible says that the sword never departed from the house of Bathsheba after that. That was a result of David's bad choice. Samson lost his blessing and lost his life because of a bad choice. Peter, I would contend, experienced guilt, significant guilt early on and then throughout the course of his Christian life, at least in my opinion and my read of the scripture, because he made a bad choice to deny Christ. I want you to know that we are not talking about consequential suffering today. We're not talking about suffering or pain that is a result of a choice that you or I made. That's not what we're talking about because that's not what Paul is talking about. One of the things that Paul is talking about, however, is what I would call circumstantial suffering. This is the suffering that just comes along with being alive. You're here, you're upright, taking solid food, inhale, exhale, you're going to have some pain. You're going to have some difficulty. It's just the way the world works. It's just the way the cookie crumbles. It's just the way the ball bounces. You didn't do anything. It's not a result of your own choices. It's just because we live in a broken and fallen world, and pain and suffering go along with that. I was thinking about a way that I might illustrate this for you today, and I was at the gym this week. I think a lot at the gym when I'm thinking about my, uh, when I'm thinking about sermons, I think ab- uh, about them a lot at the gym, primarily because I don't want to have to do any exercise. So I'm just thinking, you know, I'm just, I'm there and I'm getting fit by osmosis. So, um, so I'm thinking about my sermon and at the end of my workout, I hop on the treadmill and I get on the treadmill and there's a little warning sign on the treadmill. If you've used one of those elliptical machines or on a treadmill, you'll see this warning sign. It says, stop and consult a physician if you feel dizziness, pain, or shortness of breath. Stop and consult a physician if you feel dizziness, pain, or short of, short of breath. So I, I turned the treadmill on. I ran for 20 seconds. I felt dizzy, pain, and short of breath, and I got off. I called my doctor. I said, something's wrong. Something is. Here's the thing. You get on a treadmill, you're going to feel dizzy, pain, and short of breath. That's what it's for. That's the point. That's what you got on the treadmill for, so that your heart rate would go up, so that you might feel a little pain, and so you might feel a little bit short of breath. Welcome to life. There is pain involved. We are on the treadmill that is life, and there will be times where we feel dizzy, pain, and short of breath. Can I just biblically back that up for you? Everybody's favorite Bible promise, Jesus says, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. Difficulty. It's just the way the world works. That's one of the types of suffering that Paul is talking about here in Colossians 1.24 through 2.5. The second type of suffering that he's talking about is providential suffering. Providential suffering. This is the pain that God brings into our lives in order to make us more like Jesus. I, I'll, I'll prove it to you here in a minute, but Paul uses that word agon agony. In Luke chapter 22, when Jesus goes before the Father, he says, I don't want to go to the cross. Let this cup pass from my face. The Bible says he was what? Agonizing in the garden. So when we endure agony, it makes us more like Jesus. God brings difficulty, pain, and suffering into our life. Sometimes, sometimes it's a result of our own choice. Sometimes it's just the way the world works. And sometimes it's God's design to bring that into our life. 
I'll, I'll prove it to you. It's up here on the screen. It's 1 Peter 4.19. Peter writes this. He says, therefore, let those who, read it with me, suffer according to God's will. Say it one more time. Suffer according to God's will. And trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Sometimes God wills suffering in our life to make us more like Jesus. And I want to be honest with you. This is the kind of suffering that's very, very difficult to accept, isn't it? This is the hard one. We, we all like the idea of Jesus meeting us where we're at. Jesus just meets you where you're at. We're a little picky as to where he takes us from there, aren't we? <laughs> And we're a little picky as to how he chooses to get us there. Sometimes God brings suffering and pain into our life in order to bring us to that place. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, compares God to a doctor, to a surgeon who inflicts temporary pain in order to bring long-term healing. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, suppose that what you're up against, he's talking about God there, what you're up against is a surgeon whose intentions are wholly good. The kinder and more conscientious he is, the more inexorably he will go on cutting. If he yielded to your entreaties, if he stopped before the operation was complete, all the pain up to that point would have been useless. What do people mean when they say, I'm not afraid of God because I know he is good? Have they ever been to a dentist? <laughs> Sometimes doctors, dentists inflict pain in order to bring long-term healing. God works the same way. Sometimes he brings suffering into our life in order to accomplish an eternal good. This is the second type of suffering that Paul is talking about in Colossians 1 and 2. He's talking about circumstantial, just the, one, the stuff that life brings, and he's talking about providential, the stuff that God brings into our life in order to make us more like Jesus. The second reason that we are talking about suffering here is, and, and, and I love this, Paul endured unimaginable suffering and he learned to suffer well. Paul, who wrote this book, Colossians, that we're studying, endured unimaginable suffering and he learned to suffer well. Here's the great part about this for me as your pastor. I've endured quite a bit of suffering in my life. I don't know quite a bit. Relative to you, maybe less. Relative to you, maybe more. Again, unless God takes me home today, I've still got some left to go. Some of it circumstantial, some of it providential. I'm trying to decrease the amount of consequential suffering that I experience in my life, but I know I've got more yet to go. And some of you have an argument and say, look, Luke, I've experienced more suffering than you have. Yep, you, you have an argument there. Or you know what? You've experienced more than I have. Maybe. I don't know. You know, if Paul was in this room, we would have a pretty difficult time convincing him or convincing one another that any of us in this room had endured what Paul end had endured in terms of suffering. This man had a very difficult life. I'm just going to read a little bit for you now, talk to you a little bit about some of the suffering that Paul endured. First, Paul became a Christian on the road to Damascus. We love that story. Many of us, the scales fell from his eyes and Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he was on the road to a city called Damascus. Do you know that he actually continued that journey and he went all the way to Damascus and when he got there, he started preaching Christ and his own countrymen tried to kill him? It was like 48 hours after becoming a Christian, his own countrymen are trying to kill him. And so people have to put Paul in a basket and lower him outside of the city walls down to the ground in order to save his life. 
That's like welcome to being a Jesus follower, right? Then, then he thinks, oh, i got to get around other Jesus followers. They won't try to kill me. So he runs to Jerusalem, and all the disciples say, no, 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 no. We don't even want you because you've been persecuting people. You've been killing other followers of the way. We can't trust you. So he's rejected by other Christians. So then he starts preaching Christ anywhere and everywhere he can. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. It's up here on the screen. Paul recounts some of the suffering that he experienced over the course of his life as a result of preaching Christ. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with, here we go, far greater labors, far more imprisonments. He's actually in jail, in prison when he's writing this letter to the Colossians. With countless beatings and often near death. Verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Jews believed that if you would beat someone with a cat of nine tails, which was uh, leather straps with rocks and glass jammed into them, so when they caught your skin, they would actually pull it back away. If they, if they whipped you more than 40 times, you would die. So they just whipped Paul 39. They just 40 lashes minus one. And he did it five different times, Paul says. Three times I was beaten with rods. That, uh, that particular punishment often ended in death, by the way. Once I was stoned. That's not Woodstock stone. That's like rocks thrown at you stoned, okay? Three times I was shipwrecked. At the end of one of those shipwrecks, he was attacked by a snake, like a viper, and bitten. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. And just in case we're wondering, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. I don't even like camping. Through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all other things, there is the daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches. This is what I love about what Paul says about all the suffering he endured he adds that oh yeah p.s i'm a pastor too love that love that makes me feel good as a pastor by the way paul endured unimaginable suffering paul actually had friends betray him and leave him john mark alexander demas others Paul uh, was often in prison. We talked about he's in prison while he's writing this letter to the church at colossi paul by the way never married so he knew what it meant to come home and not have anybody to share anything with at the end of the day. Hey, dear, how was your day? Fine, Paul, how was your day? Oh, you know, shipwrecked, bit by a snake, so it was okay, you know. He never had that. He went through pain, difficulty, and trial. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes this. He says, indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and here's the tough part, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Skip back to Colossians 1, where we started, verse 24. Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings, Listen close, listen close, critical. Not, I rejoice in spite of my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings. Paul 
knew what it meant to suffer, and he knew what it meant to suffer well. He knew what it meant to make a choice that suffering was going to change him for the better and not change him for the worse. He knew what our bottom line truth is today, that suffering well means allowing suffering to drive us toward the Christ in us, the others around us, and the eternity before us. So let's unpack it one by one. Start here. Suffering well means allowing suffering to drive us to the Christ in us. Suffering well means allowing suffering to drive us toward the Christ in us. Look back at chapter 1, verse 24. Paul writes this. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, is Paul saying that there was something about Christ's sacrifice that was incomplete? Something about his trial, struggle, something about the cross that we needed to fill up? No, absolutely not. Just, just this, this is a freebie here, okay? When we study the scripture, we always interpret scripture in light of other scripture. We don't just pull stuff out, pull like one verse out and just take it out of context and do whatever we want with it. There's a lot of people on TV that made a lot of money doing that, by the way, but that's not what we do because that's not how to study the Bible. And Paul has just talked about, Paul has just built his entire case for the sufficiency and the all power of the cross of Christ and of Christ himself. So why would he say now there was something lacking in Christ's afflictions? That's clearly not what Paul is saying. Now, I want you to know that this, this verse has been hotly contested by Bible scholars, but people go back and forth about what it means and what it doesn't mean. There are guys out there, um, guys like Peter O'Brien is one who I love, Matt Chandler, who I love, and they would argue that the Bible teaches that there's a defined um, set of pain, a defined, you know, yeah, it's, it's defined sufferings, defined amount of afflictions that will take place before Christ returns. And so as Paul experiences that affliction in his life, he is filling up to the point of when that pain and trial and tribulation is complete and then Christ is going to come back. I want you to know, love Matt Chandler, love Peter O'Brien, both of them love those guys. I disagree with how they interpret that text. Great guys, it's, a, it's within the realm of orthodoxy, but I interpret it differently. I agree with a whole nother group of Bible scholars, and after looking closely at the text, especially in its original language, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that there's something lacking, not in Christ, but in me. Those words that he uses when he says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, it's a little awkward, it's a little different. He's connecting the lack, not with Jesus, but with himself. He's saying, there's still more for me to experience of Christ's fullness. There's still more for me to experience of Jesus in me. And what I lack, what I still need to experience more of is suffering, afflictions, pain, and difficulty. And as I experience those things, those things that I lack in me are being filled up to be more like Christ for the sake of his body, the church. Here's why Paul is saying it. He knows this, that few things connect us with Christ like suffering does. Few things connect us with Christ like suffering does. We have 
a savior who was acquainted with grief and familiar with suffering, the Bible says. Jesus and grief were, were friends, good friends. Jesus and suffering, they walked around together a lot. Jesus, like a lamb before his shearers is silent. No deceit was found in his mouth, but he was led away to slaughter. And he went through excruciating pain, physical, emotional, and just about, and spiritual, any other way. And few things connect us with the Christ in us like suffering does. We talked about Luke chapter 22 when Jesus asked that the cup would pass from his face. You know why? Because suffering isn't fun. None of us like suffering. None of us get up in the morning, like there's a word for it, by the way, if you do this, and it's, it's a psychological disorder, we get up in the morning, like, I'm going to inflict pain on myself. Like, I, I want to go through suffering today. I want to go through struggle today. We don't, we don't think that way. Why? Because suffering isn't fun, but it does connect you with Jesus in, in a way like nothing else can if you allow it to. Many of you uh, know that Elizabeth Elliot passed through the gates of splendor this week and went home to be with the Lord at the age of 88. Elizabeth Elliot was 26 years old when she married Jim Elliot in 1953. Their wedding photo is up here on the screen. 27 months after this day, uh, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Jim and, and four other missionaries, uh, went to a group of Indians that are commonly known as the Waharani or the Alka Indians in Ecuador. And they were there to help, they were there to serve, they were there to come alongside, and they were there to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And the Waharani uh, responded uh, in, in, a, in not such a great way. <laughs> the Waharani uh, killed all five of those missionaries, including Jim Elliott, and Elizabeth Elliott lost her husband just 27 months after they were married. Elizabeth and the other widows went back to the Waharani Indians uh, just months and, and even years later and lived with them along with her daughter, Valerie, and, and shared the gospel with them and told them the good news about Jesus. These men and women who had killed her husband, run him through with a spear and hacked him to death with machetes, she went back to live with and love and share the gospel with. Elizabeth Elliot once, in an interview, spoke about the grief of losing her husband. She spoke about the suffering in those days and months following his death. She wrote this. She said, Jim, that's her husband, his absence thrust me, forced me, hurried me to God. My hope and my only refuge. And I learned in that experience who God is. Who he is in a way that, check this out, I could never have known otherwise. In Colossians 1 verse 24, Paul is saying what Elizabeth Elliot had experienced and what countless believers throughout the last 2,000 years have experienced. That suffering connects us with Jesus in a way that nothing else can. So when we experience suffering, let it fill up what you lack and let it drive you toward the Christ in you. We'll conclude just that point with this question. We've got two more points left to go. What suffering are you experiencing in your life right now? What pain, what difficulty, what trial, whether it's just circumstances, maybe it's something God has brought. A lot of times we have no idea of knowing. Whatever it is, how might you let God demolish idols 
How might you let God break down your comfort? How might you let God remove any crutch that you would lean on that isn't him so that your only hope and your only refuge is the Christ in you? Number two, we suffer well when suffering drives us toward the Christ in us and the others around us. Pick up the text at the beginning of chapter 2. Paul says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Remember, Paul has never seen this church in Colossae face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Look up here on the screen. Look what Paul says. He says, for I want you to know, I'm telling you now about my struggle, about my pain, about my agon, about my affliction, about my difficulty. I want you to know about it. And what's the result? That their hearts at Laodicea and even your hearts in Colossae may be encouraged and what? Knit together in love. Paul is saying, allow my suffering and allow your suffering to drive you towards one another. Too often, men and women of God, we allow pain, suffering, and difficulty in our life, check it out, to drive a wedge between one another. That's not what God says. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what Paul's saying here. He says, I'm going to tell you about my struggle such that your hearts are knit together in love. I don't know about you, but I watched the news about Charleston uh, this week about the shooting in the church. And it is just tragedy upon tragedy and pain and difficulty. And what you saw on the back end of that were believers gathering together in prayer groups, people from different races and background and economic situations coming Coming together that their hearts would be knit together in love. They allowed their struggling, their suffering, their pain and difficulty to drive them toward one another. This is what Paul is saying. Let your struggling drive you towards one another that your hearts may be knit together in love. Leaning on one another, praying for one another. This has been the mark of God's church now for 2,000 years. When I first uh, experienced clinical depression uh, uh, 15 years ago, give or take, whatever it is, I went to see a therapist, not the one I see now. I had to change because the old one said, man, you are real messed up, so you need to go see somebody else. No, um, that's not true. So at the, at the beginning of that first conversation with this therapist, and I was talking about what I was going through, this therapist, Christian now, Christian person said, look, Luke, here's the thing. Uh, in your experience of pain, difficulty, and trial, circumstantial suffering, you didn't use that language, but it was not something I did. It was just the circumstances of life. This is just what happens sometimes. He says, here's the thing, and this is the end of his, the, our very first conversation. He said, there is one person that you cannot let into your head. I said, who's that? He said, Mr. Nobody. I said, well, that's, I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? He said, Mr. Nobody listens. Mr. Nobody cares. Mr. Nobody knows what I'm going through. You cannot let that person into your head because if you let that person into your head, it's gonna drive a wedge between you and the people around you who care a great deal about you and can support you and come alongside you. In other words, he's saying the same thing that Paul is. Let your suffering, pain, difficulty, and trial drive you towards the others around you. Can I just give you just, just a tip of how to apply this practically? This is my... I preach at about an 11-year-old level. I'm trying to get to a 12-year-old, but I'm right now at about 11-year-old. This is my simple application. When you suffer, tell somebody. 
When you suffer, tell somebody. If suffering is meant to drive us towards one another, if Paul himself leads by example and says, I want you to know about my struggle so that your hearts may be knit together in love, then let's follow that example. And when you suffer, tell somebody. And, and this is, I don't mean like emotionally vomiting all over people and just like, you know, I'm just going through all this stuff and everything's just going crazy. And then you go, what's your name again, by the way? I, I forgot your name. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what this is. What it is 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 someone who you trust, a friend, a family member, someone else in the body of Christ that you go to and say, hey, I just got to tell you about some things that are going on in my life. It's hard. It's difficult. I'm experiencing pain and suffering. For those of you who are on the receiving end of somebody telling you about their suffering, when someone tells you about their suffering, listen well. Listen well. To listen well does not mean, you know, I think this is probably consequential suffering for you. You know, Lucas talked about this. This is something you've done that's uh, brought along in your life a poor choice. You probably need to get on the podcast, listen to the message again. That's not what listening well is. I'm going to give you two tips as to how to listen well. One, ask questions. Ask questions. Don't try to fix How did you feel when that happened? Have your emotions changed since that day until now? Are you experiencing different types of emotions? What do you think about that? Could you tell me more about that? Could you give me a little more detail about that? Ask questions so that you may really understand, put yourself in their shoes, empathize. The second thing is pray. Pray. Pray right then and there. Pray for them after the fact. Do both. Suffering is meant to Drive us toward one another, not away. Number three, when we suffer well, or we suffer well when suffering drives us toward the Christ in us, the others around us, and the eternity in front of us. The eternity in front of us. I love what Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 27 there. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, that's where we get our series title from. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a little bit of a strange phrase, isn't it? It's awkwardly worded. It's, it's not exactly how we talk to one another today. It's not exactly how we even talk about Jesus. So let's unpack it to understand what really Paul is saying here. First thing is we'll start with the second half, the hope of glory. Remember that when the Bible talks about hope, it doesn't talk about, oh, I hope or I wish or maybe this will happen and I wish it will. The Bible talks about hope as in a confident expectation, That word glory is doxa. It's when God's glory is fully revealed. The glory of creation that's supposed to point to Christ is going to be renewed and restored. And the church is going to be brought home to give him glory. It's it's heaven. It's when God completely unveils and, and, and reveals his total glory. And it's our confident expectation of splendor. It's our confident expectation, our confident hope that God's glory will eventually and inevitably be totally revealed one day in all things. That's the hope of glory. And he talks about Christ in you. So check this out. If you get nothing else today, listen to what Paul is saying about Christ in you. This is Christ, the eternally preexistent God that imagined 
constructed and now sustains creation so that it points to him. So it gives him attention, glory, and fame. He is preeminent in the church. He is exalted above all things. He reconciled you, saved you, made you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight in order to bring himself attention. And everything that is created from the biggest star and the largest universe, even down to the smallest atom and even down to the the little bits of things that make up atoms. Everything points to that Jesus. And what is Paul saying? That Christ lives in you by his spirit. Christ in me, the hope of glory, means that the spirit of God at work in me maintains that expectant, confident hope that these present sufferings will pale in comparison to the glory that I will experience one day. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary, say it with me, affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight, say it with me, of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look to the things that are seen, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know that ache you feel in your heart when you suffer? And, and I'm not talking about the ache that you feel in your heart, like, man, this, this really stinks, this is really hard. Sometimes we use different words than that in our head, but it's church. So this stinks. This is really hard. This is not what I want to go through. You know what I'm talking about. It's painful. It's difficult. That's not the ache I'm talking about. The ache I'm talking about is a longing. It's a longing inside of you that says, this is not how it's supposed to be. This isn't right. I'm not talking about consequences of your own actions. I'm talking about persecution. I'm talking about sickness and death. I'm talking about relationships that fracture. And you think to yourself, there's got to be something more than this. There's got to be something better than this. Do you know why that crosses your mind? Because there is something better than this. Because Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says that God has written eternity on the hearts of men. And that suffering that we endure when we go through afflictions and trial, the Christ in us points our eyes and lifts our countenance toward eternity. And we say, this isn't all there is. And this light momentary affliction pales in comparison to the glory that he has in store for me one day. So my suffering now points me toward eternity. One of my favorite privileges as a pastor is to walk with people through uh, difficulty and challenge and pain and hardship. Uh, I get the opportunity to do that here at Bayview Glen. I get the opportunity to do that with friends all across the world, to be honest with you. It's always great to have people call you and they're, you know, speaking English with an accent of somewhere else in the world and talking about the pain, difficulty, or struggle that they're enduring. Some of them are Christian, some of them are not, and they call me, hey, you're a pastor, can you just talk to me about this, or can you pray with me or for me about this? People 
uh, where I grew up and people back in Phoenix and people here, like I said, here at Bayview Glen and elsewhere. And I'm just going to read for you a list of words and phrases that I have heard on the phone or in my office or in personal conversations from people all over the world and a lot of them here in our congregation at Bayview Glen in the last three weeks. Three weeks of suffering. Death, multiple times. Cancer, multiple times. Stillborn, nine-month-old with terminal brain cancer. Divorce, substance abuse, food addiction, job loss, persecution for the sake of the gospel, dementia, multiple times, Alzheimer's, multiple times, financial difficulty, suicide, self-harm, clinical depression, and eating disorder. That's the last three weeks of my job. Friends, suffering is inevitable. It comes our way. Sometimes it's because we're experiencing the consequences of bad choice. Sometimes it's just the way life is. It's the circumstances of our broken world. Sometimes God brings it along to make us more like Jesus. We do not have a choice as to whether or not we suffer. We only have a choice as to what our response is. Suffering is going to change us. It's our choice whether or not it's going to change us for the better. I want for us, I want for me, I want for my kid, I want for our church to be the kind of people that suffer well, not just endure and buckle down, but the people who come on, people who come on the other side or get to the other side of suffering and are more like Jesus because of it, because we allowed suffering to point us to the Christ in us. We allow suffering to drive us toward the others around us, and we allow suffering to lift our countenance and our eyes toward the eternity and the glory that's in front of us. Join your hearts with me in prayer. I would like to take just a moment here and pray for those of you even in the space that are enduring suffering, pain, and difficulty right now. God, on behalf of those who are enduring trial and enduring suffering, we come to you and we join with your son Jesus in what he said in Luke chapter 22, if there's any other way, maybe it could just pass by. If we could figure it out any other way. And yet some of us reluctantly and some of us through gritted teeth, we pray the rest of his prayer. Not our will, but yours be done. God, this pain and suffering is not something we have to like. You don't, have, you don't say that we have to like it or enjoy it. But God, you invite us to be changed for the better by focusing on you, developing community, and remembering that eternity is in front of us where all of it's going to go away. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would comfort these individuals and these families that are going through a difficult time in a way uh, like no one and nothing else can. God, that your Spirit would speak through our community, that your Spirit would speak to those still small places in their heart, that your Spirit would speak in and through your word. 
And maybe today, God, is not, is not the day where you file the edge off of that pain, that you take that pain away. Maybe today is the day that you just join with them in it. Come alongside them and grow them to be more like Jesus with a focus on eternity. God, now we turn uh, our hearts to you and our voices to you in worship and we invite you to prepare us to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. God, the suffering, this pain and difficulty that life brings and that even sometimes you will in our life is not our favorite thing, but, but we invite you, even reluctantly, yes, we still invite you, God, to change us in the midst of pain. Thank you for this word today from the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the ways that he teaches us how to suffer well. In Christ's name.